Well, it's good to be with you all this morning as we observe the third Sunday of Lent. Uh, uh, Lent, Advent. I'm jumping ahead already. In my mind, I'm way past. Um, and I'll confess, you know, in this season of Advent, I'm, it's somewhat crept up on me, and it's kind of gotten away from me even, uh, where I haven't been as intentional to really sit and reflect and, and examine. Uh, and so hopefully in our time together this morning, uh, we can collectively you know, just find ourselves open and curious uh, to what God uh, might invite us to consider as we wait for and anticipate the birth of Jesus. Um, so before we, we jump in, I want to give you all a moment to reflect on this question. Uh, how do you usually respond to something that's unexpected? Right? What, what emotions or feelings surface for you when you encounter the unexpected? Right? I'll give you a moment to, to reflect on that, and if you're willing, go ahead and share with someone next to you. Uh, for those online, feel free to offer your thoughts online. All right. Well, it sounds like you all have some definite feelings around what's unexpected. Uh, let me hear some of these. Anyone? What, what, comes, what comes up for you when you encounter something that's unexpected? Anyone? Anxiety. Anxiety? Okay. Excitement. Very different. What else? What comes up for you when there's something unexpected? Okay, so just curiosity around how God might use this in your life. Yeah. What was that over there? Exasperation. Exasperation. More anxiety. <laughs> There's a pattern. Um, so one of my favorite movies I watched this past year uh, was Everything Everywhere All at Once with uh, Michelle Yeoh and Ki Hui Kwan. Right? Anyone else seen that? Yeah. Um, it's such a beautiful, quirky, you know, mind-bending, heartbreaking, action, drama, comedy, sci-fi, indie film. I think that captures what type of movie this is. Um, but it's definitely worth a watch. And we enjoyed it so much that uh, Rachel and I dressed up as the main characters for Halloween this past year. So, which, which surprisingly... <laughs> Yeah, so surprisingly, I apparently had everything I needed and pulled it together like in five minutes, <laughs> which I'm not sure what that says about my wardrobe, right, that I have the, <laughs> that I have the wardrobe of a middle-aged Chinese-American dad, but, well, to be fair, which technically I am, so, um, but this movie, without giving away any spoilers, um, it's centered around a, a Chinese immigrant mother. Uh, who's unexpectedly presented with an opportunity to learn about the multiverse, right? And, and what that impact has on her, her family, the rest of the world. And it's an unexpected invitation to become a hero because she seems like the least successful version of herself. And through the movie, we get to see her go on this journey of self-discovery and understanding and love, and all because she eventually made space and, and welcomed everything that was unexpected. And I think that's a common theme of the Advent season, right? The unexpected way in which God chose to enter this world, the unexpected responsibility that Mary was given to carry this child, the unexpected location where Jesus was born, the unexpected social status that Jesus chose to grow up in. 
And all of this is a constant reminder that God often breaks our expectations of who we think God is and how God works. And so the question I want to explore this morning in this season of Advent is how are we invited to make space for the unexpected? And what is God inviting us to receive and respond to through that, this, that what's unexpected? And as we explore this morning's lectionary text in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we'll see how making space for unexpected disappointment, unexpected voices, unexpected people, uh, allow for our growth and discovery toward who God intended us to be and how we might live. And so we start in verse 2. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? And so this John is Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And last week, Jenna spoke uh, about how he invited people out into the wilderness, right, to repent and confess their misperceptions of God. But here we find John the Baptist in a very different environment, right? He's in prison because he confronted King Herod about how it was not cool and technically legal to take and marry his own brother's wife. And so in order to silence him, Herod throws John into prison. And that accomplishes a couple things. One, it would prevent any further PR damage. And two, Herod was worried that John might start a revolution with all of his followers. And so this would put a clamp on that. And so here he is, sitting in prison. And it seems like John's experience of Jesus wasn't matching the expectation that he had for the Messiah. He might have had an expectation of a Messiah who was actually going to bring about freedom for their people. Maybe even overthrowing this regime and empire that was oppressing them. And there's almost a sense of disappointment and doubt in Jesus, which is unexpected. That's what's driving his question when he asks, are you the one we've been waiting for? Or is there someone else still coming who will actually set things right? And Jesus responds to this question in verse 4, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with a skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus isn't defensive or corrective or even curious about what John is implying. He simply offers an invitation to observe, right? Whatever you see and hear, tell John what's actually happening around me. People are experiencing healing and restoration. Instead of the judgment that you might have been expecting, I'm actually here to bring mercy. I'm embodying God's love for the mar marginalized here and now. If we look a bit closer, Jesus is actually making a callback to Isaiah 35, which says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be opened. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. And so he's making this connection that even in the midst of a wilderness, there will be water and streams. Even within a barren land and what might seem to be a disappointment, there's also life. 
And so for us in this Advent season, as we make space for unexpected disappointment, we're also invited to look for glimpses of restoration and healing. And I'm not saying that we bypass our disappointments by looking for the silver lining or that we pretend the wilderness experience isn't real. But how might we hold both of those things in tension? What are the sources of disappointment for us this season? And what are the glimpses of restoration that might be around us if we choose to look? For John the Baptist, he was very much sitting in his disappointment, literally in a prison. And it's in that space that Jesus also invites him to see the glimpses of healing and restoration that are happening around him. Uh, at the beginning of my sabbatical this past summer, I had an opportunity to visit the Cedar Break Retreat Center up in Belton, Texas. And they had this beautiful prayer labyrinth um, set on their property. It's surrounded by forest. And as I engaged this spiritual practice of walking the labyrinth, I experienced three different movements. So first, during the movement of entering, as I started walking towards the center, I was reflecting on all the weight and burden of the previous couple of years, you know, navigating abrupt staff transitions here, while also navigating a pandemic on top of that. And I allowed myself to, to feel and express the hurt, the anger, the disappointment, the fatigue, as I was walking towards that center. And I really embodied all those emotions to the point that I found myself walking slower uh, and dragging my feet as I was actually carrying extra weight. And then the second movement took place as I reached the center and I sat on the bench in the middle and I allowed myself to rest, to begin to reflect on the resiliency of this community the support of this community, the wisdom of our leadership, the different gifts that each person here brings and offers to our community. And I found and experienced a lot of gratitude as I sat in that center. And then as I left the center to head back out of the labyrinth, I found myself trying to balance these two things, right? Both the fire of disappointment and pain that was still burning within, alongside the glimpses of gratitude and restoration. And in some ways, that's still the posture I'm holding and feeling, where it's tension and balance of both things. And so for us, maybe a practice that we can try this Advent is just to sit in the tension of disappointment and restoration. To be honest about the areas of disappointment that we're experiencing this season, right? What are the things that aren't meeting expectations? And then also hone our vision to look for glimpses of restoration around us. What are the things that offer us hope and gratitude? And then we continue in verse seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal places. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
And so Jesus is reflecting on the unexpected nature of finding something of value and meaning out in the wilderness. Because the wilderness is decentered from the places of power and comfort. Being on the outskirts of the city meant being on the margins. And that's why John was out in the wilderness. He was not offering a message of comfort and status quo. The voice of the prophet offers uncomfortable truths that need to be told. And maybe the crowds weren't expecting to receive that when they went into the wilderness to see what all the hype was about. And for us in this Advent season, as we make space for unexpected prophetic voices, right, we're invited to listen for our own uncomfortable truths. What are the difficult and uncomfortable truths we need to sit with this Advent season? What are the things that we might need to hear that will bring us discomfort and also healing? You know, for the last couple of months, I've been participating in a racial healing uh, cohort that was offered through the Seminary of the Southwest. Uh, it was developed and hosted by Dr. Marlon Johnson. And the hope behind this initiative uh, was to help equip and support uh, the clergy and therapists here in Austin in becoming more aware of systemic oppression and racism here in this city. And then through storytelling and effective goal setting, we might be able to have a greater impact in, in moving towards racial healing with our own congregations, with our own clients here in Austin. And so it was an unexpected gift for me uh, to be able to, to participate in this. And during one of our sessions, there was a question around how my embodiment has impacted the way that I pastor and care for our congregation. And it really generated some discomfort within me uh, to actually examine more deeply how for most of my life, my desire to assimilate to white majority culture has impacted how I carry myself in this world. It has also impacted how I pastor this community and how I engage with this neighborhood and this city. And I'm realizing that I need to pour some energy and time into really confronting this reality for myself and to do the work of diagnosing all the areas that have been impacted by the ways I've embodied majority white culture. And that's the uncomfortable invitation that I've been given in this season. And for us, maybe a practice we can try is, is just to listen for the voices that are speaking uncomfortable truths to us. You know, who are the ones that are asking our, our, us questions that need our attention and our work? Even if it's our own internal voice asking the question. What are the uncomfortable truths that we need to hear and engage? And then we close in verse 11 or verse 10. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so here, you know, we see Jesus elevate John the Baptist in a society that didn't have high regard, you know, for a prophet living out in the wilderness, eating a diet of locust and honey. And at the same time, he seems to level the playing field by also elevating the rest of those who are considered to be the least. This seems reminiscent of the huge debate that Jesus' disciples had about who was greater. And Jesus reminded them that those who are considered greater are the ones 
who need to serve, and the first will be last, and the last will be first. And so in some ways, Jesus is drawing attention to a marginalized group of people who have been silenced and outcast and ignored. And he's equalizing the playing field to acknowledge that what everyone brings, regardless of their perceived position and status, matters. And so for us in this Advent season, as we make space for unexpected people, we're invited to acknowledge and advocate for those who are invisible and ignored. Uh, Grace Kim wrote a book called Invisible that explores her theology and experience as an Asian American woman and how they are doubly marginalized by their own Asian culture and also by Western culture. And so that's what creates an experience of invisibility that impacts her ability to be seen and heard. And so this is how she describes it in her book. She says, invisibility is a spiritual issue. People of color, women, and queer and disabled persons have been made invisible throughout much of church history. And even in our modern times, the marginalized still struggle. Being part of God's kingdom is being given agency, voice, and visibility so that all people are welcome into the church and, can, and the kingdom of God. There's a historic practice of silencing and pushing out certain groups of people that aren't part of the majority culture. And it just becomes embedded and systematized in our way of life. You know, with that racial healing cohort I was sharing about earlier, one of the things that really stuck with me uh, was having a greater understanding of how deeply rooted racist policies have impacted our city over the last century and how people of color, primarily our black community, have continually been systematically marginalized through policies. Right? Some of us are familiar with the 1928 City of Austin Master Plan, which relocated black communities east of I-35. And these ordinances essentially forced black families to move to East Austin in order to have access to housing, public schools, and utilities. And then in 1957, something I was unaware of, an industrial development plan ended up zoning all properties in East Austin as industrial, including family residential units. And this zoning meant that industries that produced the most pollution would be in East Austin. And as a result, very few residents in East Austin could get bank loans for repairs or building new homes, which led to a deterioration of their housing. And then more recently in 2017, Code Next legislation was presented which would accelerate gentrification of East Austin and continue to push out generational black and Hispanic families from their homes. And so here in our own city, right, there needs to be an acknowledgement and a naming of what other might, otherwise might seem to be invisible. The systemic and policy-driven marginalization of people of color, primarily black and Hispanic communities, is real and needs to be named and addressed. And this is something that we are literally in the middle of as we've planted Vox's roots here in this neighbor over the last, neighborhood over the last 15 years. It continues to be such a complicated experience and dynamic when we've also somewhat contributed to the gentrification ourselves. And as we work to highlight those who have historically been made invisible, 
our invitation is to continue to advocate for them to be seen and heard. And so as we close this morning, my hope for us is during this Advent season that we would make space for the unexpected in our lives. Whether it's unexpected disappointment or unexpected voices or unexpected people. And as we make space that we would engage those opportunities to explore glimpses of restoration, to listen to uncomfortable truths, and to advocate for the people that have been made invisible. So let me close with this prayer. God, who is full of mercy and grace, filled with patience and kindness, may we continue to look for your signs of healing and restoration. Jesus, who brings us to reality, having lived among us, may we listen with courage in spite of the discomfort of what we need to hear. And Spirit, who breathes on all, including those on the margins, may we acknowledge and make visible those who are invisible to this world. And we ask all this in the love of God, our Creator, the solidarity of Christ, and the mystery of the Spirit. Amen.